A cluster of pneumonia cases with a haunting familiarity to the 2019 pandemic. A worrying situation now unfolding inside China, tied to sick children and censorship. It feels like another COVID-19 outbreak. Nearly 300 illegal Chinese marijuana grows allegedly operating near American homes in a single New England state. The grows estimated to rake in over $4 billion. $65 billion in debt weighing on a major Chinese wealth manager. Will the first-time financial bombshell for the sector set off a chain reaction? And get ready for a fashion face-off this holiday season. China-funded fashion giant Xi'an is reportedly on track to beat out H&M and Zara this year. Welcome to China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A widespread outbreak of undiagnosed pneumonia cases is sweeping China, and it's mostly affecting kids. The dire situation is triggering concerns from a global health authority. On Wednesday, the World Health Organization gave China a 24-hour deadline to provide crucial details about the situation. China has been battling a jump in mysterious respiratory illnesses for months. Hospitals across the country are overwhelmed with sick children. A pediatric hospital in Beijing reports seeing over 7,000 patients a day. A video shared online shows another hospital in Beijing at midnight still crowded with parents and children seeking treatment. Our whole family is sick, all four of them, and the hospital is full. My son had a fever of over 39 degrees Celsius and was tested for four pathogens, including mycoplasma pneumonia, influenza A, and COVID-19. There is no official explanation for the exact cause of the illness. Doctors in China have reported this year's flu wave seems worse than years past. They say it's unclear when the pneumonia outbreak started, but that it's unusual for so many children to be affected so quickly. The situation in a northern Chinese province is also getting serious. In an online post, a local health worker revealed that a staggering 9 out of 12 people in her department are grappling with high fevers. Calling it too scary, she describes the situation as almost the same as when COVID-19 restrictions were just lifted. Since Beijing abandoned its zero COVID-19 policy earlier this year, officials have linked China's surge in respiratory illnesses to non-COVID-19 related diseases. Now, some residents are questioning whether the regime is using that as a cover-up to hide new waves of the COVID-19 pandemic. It feels like another COVID-19 outbreak, but they're saying it's influenza. I suspect it might be a mutated COVID-19 variant. The data hasn't been shared with the public, and now reporting isn't allowed. Everything's being kept under wraps. Medical care is falling behind, and children's hospitals can't take in any more patients. Parents are getting more and more concerned. They, the CCP, won't tell you anything about the virus. I've got some medicine ready. If I feel even a bit unwell, I'll take it right away. China has faced scrutiny in the past about the transparency of its medical reporting, particularly during the early days of the COVID-19 outbreak in Wuhan. A study by the British University of Southampton found 95% of COVID-19's global spread could have been reduced if China intervened earlier. Just last week, a top Chinese epidemiologist warned another wave of COVID-19 could hit China soon.
According to online posts, at least one child has died of pneumonia during the current wave. Reports have also suggested authorities are blocking related information online. A marijuana problem troubling the state of Maine. The Pine Tree State reportedly becoming a ground zero for illegal Chinese grow operations. Hundreds of suspected grow sites estimated to bring in over $4 billion in revenue. But local law enforcement is having trouble busting them. More on the challenges they face. Is Maine becoming a new breeding ground for illegal marijuana grows run by Chinese nationals? A Department of Homeland Security memo is shedding light on the issue. It found 270 alleged Chinese illegal marijuana grow operations in the state. DHS estimates the operations could bring in over $4 billion in revenue, and the money could be used for criminal activities or sent back to China. The memo was exclusively obtained by news outlet The Daily Caller. A state representative told the outlet that residences in certain districts are being taken up by illegal grow operations. Several lawmakers wrote a joint letter to the Justice Department asking it to shut down the illegal operations. Some local residents have reported suspected pot grows to authorities, but law enforcement there have yet to bust many of them. Maine legalized marijuana in 2016, and residents that are over 21 years old can grow up to 15 plants for their own use. A local police chief told the Daily Caller that law enforcement isn't clear where the line is. Stanley Bell, the police chief of Clinton, Maine, said he thinks the biggest deterrent to enforcement is that officers don't know where civil enforcement ends and criminal enforcement begins. Some local officials are taking action. Maine's legislature is weighing a bill that aims to crack down on racketeering by foreign organizations in cannabis markets. A state representative said the goal of the bill is to empower law enforcement to go after illegal operations. China's real estate crisis is spilling into the financial sector. A major wealth manager just told investors it can't pay off its obligations, with billions of dollars in debt worth twice the company's assets. Zhongzhi Enterprise Group, or ZEG, issued a disclosure letter on Wednesday. As a major player in China's shadow banking sector, ZEG stores and manages money like a standard bank, but it offers higher returns for investors. In China, wealth managers like ZEG combined make up roughly the size of the French economy. The company's business spans from real estate to mining to electric vehicles and includes investment in Chinese developer Evergrande. The now infamous company earned the title of world's most indebted real estate firm, buried under $300 billion in obligations. Some analysts expect Beijing to step in to stem a wider fallout. But an expert says helping the sector with state money could only make the coming burst bigger, leading to future problems. The only way to get uh, China out of this big trouble is through, you know, uh, is through a lead bubble burst. And sooner or later, they'll have the lead bubble burst. Professor Xie says Beijing needs to help property buyers hit by the real estate crisis. Right now, the Chinese regime is pumping money into the debt-ridden companies instead. The situation is getting more dire for the country's financial sector. Youth unemployment is surging, factory production is falling, consumer spending is down, and foreign businesses are withdrawing from the Chinese market. 
economic downturn, you know, everyone, each and everyone is affected, basically. So it's just to a different degree as to their exposure to the risk. Over the past few years, ZEG has been quietly selling off stake in companies it controlled to reduce the size of its business. Public concerns about its finances were first triggered in August when a trust company it owns missed payments to investors. The U.S. is facing stiff competition from China in submarine technology. A Wall Street Journal article reports China is advancing its submarine capabilities and upending U.S. dominance. The engines are powered by a pump jet propulsion system rather than a propeller, making the subs less noisy and harder to detect. It's the first time the technology has been spotted on a Chinese submarine. Why should Americans be concerned? Entities Kevin Hogan spoke to Brent Sadler, a senior research fellow for naval warfare and advanced technology at the Center for National Defense at the Heritage Foundation, for more. The Chinese submarine program is following in the last few years what looks to be a very familiar one for those that remember back in the late 70s and the early 80s, a Soviet nuclear submarine force that was very large, uh, very threatening, but easy to track. And sound is the key here. Uh, unfortunately, because of uh, ste the stealing of very sensitive technologies and the transfer of equipment to the Soviet Union in 19, the late 70s, those submarines that were easy to track became very hard to track almost overnight. And it meant that the U.S. needed more assets, more aircraft, more submarines to keep tabs on the Soviets. We could see the same thing again with the Chinese fleet. Right. And so what does this mean for Taiwan security? Well, first and foremost, it means it means that the United States' ability to to ride in as the you know the cavalry to come in when needed might be delayed a little longer, and it also means that while we're, the U.S. forces are nearby, they're going to be under constant threat, and they might have more possibilities of more losses than anticipated in the past. Is it a realistic possibility that this will enable China to dominate the Indo-Pacific? And if that is the case, how can the U.S. counter it? Well, if the U.S. remains on its current trajectory of just every decision seems to be for a smaller and smaller navy, then absolutely the Pacific will become the Chinese lake by 2049. Uh, but there's no indication that the U.S. Congress is willing to accept that. And, and I think there are folks in the Pentagon that also see the dangers, as well as the State Department, the dangers of continuing on this trajectory. It's the season of holiday shopping. As major fashion retailers begin to snap up discounts for buyers, a China-funded company is quietly expanding. Fast fashion giant Xi'an is getting closer to besting two of its biggest rivals this year, Zara and H&M. In the first three quarters of this year alone, Xi'an's revenue has already outpaced H&M's by a staggering $7 billion. Zara is next on the list. And the corporate ambition doesn't stop there. Xi'an is looking to become a new rival to Amazon. The online retailer has been luring in merchants from Amazon to its own platform with shopping incentives. What's more, the company is also reportedly planning to go public as early as 2024. But to get there, it has to bypass a string of hurdles from U.S. regulators. Xi'an has been facing pressure from lawmakers over allegations of unethical labor practices against the weaker minorities in the Xinjiang region. 
Updates from China, a wave of protests breaking out in the country that's as its property sector continues along a downward spiral. Last Friday, property owners gathered in Hunan and Shanghai to demand developers follow through on their promises. The would-be homeowners already paid the companies to build their new homes, but the developers failed to produce the housing in return. Authorities clamped down on the protests and some property owners were arrested. Protests like those can be hard to clamp down on. I believe the protesters are very determined to stand up for their rights. And this could be an element disrupting China's social stability. Over 1,700 real estate-related protests sparked between June 2022 and October 2023. As Taiwan gets ready to select a new president, more candidates are making their positions on China relations clear. During a news conference Thursday, the ruling party's vice presidential candidate shared her stance. Here's what she said. I think we have reiterated our position that we remain open to dialogue, that we are also committed to the status quo. And as we take a pragmatic approach to balancing our international partnerships, I think it's also important that the international community, who also agrees with our position in continuing peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait, uh, make clear uh, to our counterparts across the Taiwan Strait that dialogue is the only way to resolve differences. War is not an option. Taiwan's ruling Democratic Progressive Party announced this week that Salbi Kim has been chosen as the running mate to party's presidential candidate Lai Qingde. Lai is Taiwan's vice president and the election's frontrunner. Sal previously served as Taiwan's envoy to the United States. She says Taiwan needs to forge a support across the political spectrum in Washington, D.C. The former envoy also notes that bipartisan and united support for Taiwan is necessary, saying, quote, we cannot afford to let Taiwan become an issue of partisan difference in American politics. The election comes at a time of increasing military aggression by the Chinese regime. Taiwanese voters will head to the polls on January 13th. Coming up, an American drug epidemic fueled by China-made chemicals. Fentanyl is considered one of the world's most deadly synthetic opioids. From its precursor stage in China to mass refinement in Mexico, the drug has made its way halfway around the world and kills thousands of Americans every year. How does it wind up in the U.S.? We spoke with Sam Cooper, founder of Canadian independent investigative platform The Bureau and author of the best-selling book Willful Blindness to Learn More. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. On the sidelines of the high-stakes APEC summit last week, President Biden vowed to work with China to curb the flow of fentanyl into the U.S. How does the synthetic opioid make its way halfway across the world? And what role does the CCP play in its transit? To discuss, we have Sam Cooper, founder of Canadian independent investigative platform The Bureau and author of the best-selling book Willful Blindness to speak with us. Sam Cooper, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. 
Now, President Biden is skeptical about Chinese regime leaders' fentanyl deal, saying, quote, we have to verify it. Given your own reporting on this topic, how likely are we to see the Chinese regime hold up their end of the deal? I think uh, President Biden is rightly skeptical. I don't really see a very good chance at all that the Chinese Communist Party control the entities will back off from uh, exporting fentanyl precursors into North America. And the reason for that is uh, the Chinese state could control the factories that are making tremendous income selling these toxic chemicals abroad. But uh, the Chinese regime also has deep ties with, as I've reported, uh, transnational crime networks that are interrelated with uh, Chinese security officials. And so this is why I'm skeptical that this uh, supposed deal with uh, Xi Jinping will amount to anything. Here in the U.S., we have lost about 100,000 people to fentanyl, and that number just keeps going up each year. It's part of what's known as total warfare or unrestricted warfare or winning without fighting. How do you see that playing into all of this? China uh, wants to see uh, harmful collateral, collateral damage to other nations through the sale and just the the incredible devastation of fentanyl in other nations and also that china would uh enjoy to reap uh, tremendous profits from uh you know as i've said the production of precursors that are fueling the fentanyl and opioids crisis so and you're right certainly there are chinese people's liberation army generals that in open source papers that uh we can find online do point to the ccp's use of any unrestricted uh, co- uh, collateral damage to other nations in warfare. So I do think that it's reasonable. Expanding on that, you do have a book covering this topic called Willful Blindness, how a criminal network of narcos, tycoons, and Chinese Communist Party agents infiltrated the West. Give us a sense of what you found in that. How does this fentanyl come into the States and Canada from China? What I found really uh, started with the journey of understanding how tremendous amounts of uh, real estate money was coming from China and Hong Kong into Vancouver's real estate market. For years, uh, no one could really point to the source of these mystery funds. And then I uncovered what's called the Vancouver model of underground banking and money laundering. This showed just tremendous amounts of uh, money directly brought into uh, Canada by uh, tycoon gamblers from mainland China, was being laundered through BC government casinos. Official estimates put it upwards of uh, a billion dollars in 2014. And my investigations uncovered that this money was directly tied to uh, the laundering of cash from the sales of uh, fentanyl, cocaine, other drugs that are uh, sold around the world, but laundered very directly through cities, prominently, most prominently cities such as Vancouver. Also shockingly, my reporting found that the, the Chinese transnational gangs involved in this activity, I found that indeed uh, they had linkages 
I could find uh, the, the indicators. There were linkages to Chinese officials, that is people in China's United Front Work Department, alleged links to the PLA, that's the People's Liberation Army, Ministry of State Security, Ministry of Public Security. And so this shows you that when I say we, I don't think we can trust China to separate itself from the fentanyl trade, I'm saying that because indeed Chinese officials are linked to these very same fentanyl trafficking gangs. Wow. And what about the amount of money involved? Because Chinese nationals by law are only allowed to move $50,000 out of China per year. How did they get around this? That's the very key point of the Vancouver model. Uh, what this is, is some of your viewers will know that in Macau, just off uh, the you know the borders of mainland China, there is legalized gambling. However, as you as you've said, Chinese citizens aren't legally allowed to bring their money over to those casinos. So essentially, they will uh, travel to Macau, take out a loan or some chips from uh, what are called junkets, which are basically just Chinese mafia outfits that facilitate this trade. The gamblers can gamble in Macau, go spend their money in Hong Kong, and then pay back these Chinese triads or Chinese mafia entities through bank accounts uh, in mainland China. The very same activity I uncovered in Vancouver, this is why it's called the Vancouver model. So there's tremendous amounts of uh, fentanyl pills being produced in Vancouver. And I believe this is uh, producing multi-billions of dollars of uh, drugs that are washing around the world. Sam Cooper, thank you so much for your time. Thanks. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. Happy Thanksgiving and see you tomorrow.